Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sorpox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're talking weather, weather, and weather. For those of you in the know, weather is a castrated ram, a conjunction with a similar meaning to if, or the catastrophic state of our atmosphere. It was leaked last week, but La Nina is here. It's bad news for the insurers. Yes, it really blows. There's a possible ray of sunshine among the clouds for Northern Australia, but I drought it. And insurer profitability is snow laughing matter, but things are looking up. Hello everyone. On our panel today are Managing Editor John Ashes Deeks, Chairman Terry Silly Midoff McMullen, and Deputy Editor Wendy, don't you give me a nickname, Pew. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Are you infatuated by the weather? Andrew, I'm so infatuated by the weather, but I'm still trying to get over your introduction. <laughs> Hello, John. Hello. So the question everyone is asking is, will La Nina affect the cricket? Well, the answer to that is yes, actually, because if there's more cloud cover, the English swing bowlers will get more uh, more lateral movement. So fingers crossed. Oh, my oh wow. God. That's a stretch. Isn't it? <laughs> well, good morning, Wendy. What's your stance on the cricket? Oh, good morning. Well, I'm uh, just assuming Australia will uh, win against England like they usually do. I think the words you were planning to use is wipe the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, John, apparently La Nina is here. What does it mean for insurance? Well, floods probably. I mean, you can never know for sure, but the Bureau of Meteorology says that we should prepare ourselves for higher levels of rainfall across much of the country and potential floods. Part of the problem is we've already had a lot of rain, so much of the ground is very wet already and it wouldn't take an awful lot to to create some flash flooding conditions. As we know, La Nina is bad news for insurers. It tends to be more payments, more claims in those La Nina years than in neutral years or even El Nino years. So I'm afraid it's not great news. But on the other hand, it'd be good news because wet equals good when it comes to bushfires right yes yes and no i mean you can get wet weather can cause lots of grass growth which if it dries out can then lead to to grass fires but generally speaking you're right um the bureau says we shouldn't see the the horrendous fires of the like that we saw in 2019-20 so that certainly is good news but when you the the outlook for the fire season is is out as well and you can see from that that a lot of the country has normal fire risk, which uh, in Australia, unfortunately, means that devastating fires can occur. Terry, how badly has La Nina affected the industry in the past? Uh, Quite badly, but possibly not as badly as it it does now. And and that's because uh, after the 2011 La Nina event, the insurance industry has got a lot more serious about covering for flood. And flood is really one of the, the more uh, noticeable aspects of, of a La Nina. They happen every few years and they typically last for up to two years. Um, and as I said, the, the worst damage that really has happened in, in insurance terms was the 2011 event, which actually started in 2010. It gave us the second wettest year since records began. Uh, it gave us Cyclone Yasi which was a particularly nasty one, and the devastating Brisbane floods. We tend to forget it also led to major flooding in Africa and the United States, and it lowered global temperatures for a few months. Because 
La Nina and El Nino systems cover the entire Pacific. That accounts for close to half the, the Earth's surface. So a La Nina year is always likely to reduce global temperatures on average, the experts say. So, yes, it, it's always a worry, and particularly now as as the industry is very uh, occupied with flood insurance, then uh, it is a, a major concern for the industry over the next, I guess, six months. So we were chatting before the pod recorded, first of all, about teaching me how to pronounce La Nina. But uh, the fact that flood insurance is actually a new thing. Do you want to go, go over that, Terry? Well, it, it's always been around, Andrew, but it wasn't generally offered to to everybody. Uh, after 20, the 2011 floods, the Minister for, I think it was Financial Services at the time, was Bill Shorten. And he sat everybody down and, and finally sorted out a problem that had been around for as long as anybody could remember, which was insurers' reluctance to actually cover for flood. And they did work out some decent compromises. And as a result now, flood is, is pretty universally available, unless you you know want to live on top of a river or something like that. But it is always going to be a preoccupation for the industry now. So it's likely to want to take or to have more participation in any discussions on ways to prevent floods. Well, last year, um, we discussed the uh, Warragamba Dam. Um, has anything been resolved with, the, uh, with all the flooding going on in uh, New South Wales? Not really. The problem with the Warragamba Dam is it's simply the, the dam wall's not big enough and the million or so people who live downstream of it are living in the wrong place. <laughs> um, but I do believe that flood, flood insurance is available there. Um, the, the, that is a real problem, that area. And, you know, once a, once a dam is full, it has to overflow. And as we saw with the Wyvernhoe Dam in 2011, you get full, it's got to go downstream. So, yes, that's a, that's a worry for everybody. Well, from one challenge to something that's hopefully more of a breeze. Wendy, there's a new parametric cyclone offering for Northern Australia. Who's behind it? And can you, can you explain to me how it works? Well, uh, this new parametric offering is called Ready Cover, and it's backed by Lloyds. And it's been set up by uh, Karen Hardy, who's based in Tully in northern Queensland. Uh, and that area was particularly hard hit by Cyclone Yasi uh, during that uh, last uh, severe La Nina. And, of course, North Queensland has had so many issues around affordable insurance. So, so this is a parametric product aimed at, at anyone, really, so that you can just easily go online and buy it. So you can buy cover in $1,000 sum insured units and then it pays out when it's triggered basically automatically by um, Bureau of Meteorology cyclone track maps and wind speed data. So it aims to be a really fast and simple way to get disaster relief flowing immediately after a cyclone hits uh, without having to sort of worry about complex uh, claims processes or, or, or damage assessments. In the last magazine, we talked about parametric. So this is uh, another one, but uh, it certainly seems to be catching on. Could this be the solution to North Australia's, uh, Northern Australia's insurance affordability problem, John? In a word, no. It could be helpful, but it's not going to solve the, the base problem. It seems to be increasingly popular, as you say, with different offerings popping up, particularly for the north of the country. And that's probably because it's so very simple and flexible for the consumer. Um, every parametric policy will be different, but you can buy the cover that you want and know exactly what you're going to get should the weather trigger 
be hit. It may be cheaper than traditional insurance because the claims process is so simple and there's no need for assessors and claims managers and so on. But these parametric products tend to only cover one risk, such as cyclone. So you'd still need traditional home cover for all the other perils. And unfortunately, there's no easy fix to the affordability issue. There's no escaping the maths. So in high-risk regions, uh, unfortunately, we need, we need hard, tough projects like mitigation and uh, improving the resilience of properties, as well as probably in the long term, minimising the impact of climate change. Well, insurance profitability is an issue we've covered for a while, but John, APRA's latest stats show some improvement, don't they? That's right. So for the year to September 30th, net profit after tax for the industry was up 4.5% to $944 million. That's compared to the year earlier period. Now, it's important to say that that improvement didn't come from any any improvement in, in investment income. That's still really subdued. In fact, it fell at 0.7% to $1.22 billion. But there was an improvement in the underwriting results, so mainly because premiums are going up. So classes such as domestic motor pushed underwriting income 20% higher to $1.9 billion. So ultimately, yes, we're seeing an improvement, but investment income is still a problem. I know we're uh, focusing on insurance and not some necessarily you know, financial advice or uh, investments, but the market seems to have bounced back considerably since the impact of the initial response to COVID. Does anyone know why hasn't investments um, improved for the insurance industry? The global investment market is is way down in the basement at the moment. Nobody, but a, but a lot of investment that insurers have are just simply not performing at the moment. It's just something you have to wait for to to recover. There's only only two ways to recover from from when your money goes down. One is to put your premiums up. And the other is to rely, you know, to ride on the investment cycle. You're seeing us ride across industries at the moment. Well, I feel like I ask you this every week, Terry, but do you think this is a genuine turning point for the industry? Well, yeah, I'm a bit of a freak for uh, the insurance cycle, and I do think think the cycle is turning. It's certainly showing the early signs of turning. Um, if you look at a graph of insurer pr- uh, profitability, you'll see the industry has been on a gradual downward trend for quite a few years. But in the past few months, it started to rise quite sharply. That's a result of a very hard market caused by a low appetite for risk and higher premiums. That's the way to get it. Get the money up. Really, we are getting to the the, the point where people are actually paying for the, for the risk at the right kind of price. So uh, that's certainly very helpful to insurers if they can hold on to it as the cycle keeps turning. Well, Wendy, we've been waiting for the Treasury's report on dispute resolution service, AFCA, and now it's in. What does it say? Well, the overall finding was that AFCA is performing well in a difficult operating environment and changing regulatory landscape. Uh, but it did make 14 recommendations and says AFCA needs to make sure it continues to improve um, its processes. So the recommendations don't propose really fundamental changes. They're they're more about just improving the way things are are, are going along, really. I mean, there were some um, submissions that pushed for some, uh, you know, more bigger, some bigger changes. But um, the uh, consumer groups had pushed for a... um, 
much higher cap on compensation for non-financial losses. And there are also suggestions that uh, scope should be broadened as far as the um, disputes and complaints uh, it can accept. But the, the review doesn't re recommend changes on those points. Um, so uh, AFCA's chief ombudsman described it as a, a very positive report and particularly for an organisation barely three years old. Well, we're big fans, particularly of some of the disputes. Um, has it made a good start, Terry? How does it compare to its predecessors? Its predecessors were really one organisation way back in the, in the 1990s. It began as an insurance inquiries and complaints, and later it became the Insurance Ombudsman Service. It, it was pretty darn good for an independent organisation that was entirely financed by the industry. And it did have similar rules to AFCA, but I, I think AFCA has much wider scope. Uh, it has the reach across financial services and it has the muscle behind it to be more effective than the, the industry scheme could have been. But uh, I, I do think, I mean, there are limits to how, how effective any inquiries and complaints scheme can be. But I think the AFCA one is, is pretty darn good so far. John, does it get many complaints or does it have to go through uh, many disputes? Yes, it does. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know about all disputes, but I know that they had about 17,000 general insurance complaints within the, the last financial year. So um, yeah, certainly not an insignificant number. Is that standard or is it um, is that an increase? It went, I do believe it went up a bit through COVID. There are a lot of um, complaints relating to travel insurance, as we know. But yes, that what they what they try and do is there won't out of those 17,000 complaints, there won't be 17,000 determinations. They'll try and resolve most of them at a very early stage. So just a little bit of communication between the parties can sometimes lead to a, an outcome uh, that, that that's good for everyone. Um, a small proportion of those complaints will go right through to determination. And actually, when it gets to that point, most determinations are found in favour of the financial services firm, something like 70%, I think. Well, finally, we're all sick of talking about COVID, but since the emergence of Omicron seems to be causing chaos with Victoria's workers' compensation scheme, as well as our travel plans, doesn't it, John? Yes, that's right. Unfortunately, a um, Victorian Auditor General's report, which cast an eye over the, the whole of the state's finances, uh, picked out WorkSafe as a real problem. Um, claims liabilities are soaring and WorkSafe performance is under the microscope. Basically, this report says that there was a review of the financial sustainability of the scheme and it concluded that it's unsustainable on its current trajectory. There was a $550 million bailout from the state government to sort of shore things up in the short term, but uh, WorkSafe is having to look at some pretty serious changes to uh, to make it sort of fit for the future. WorkSafe itself says that it's down to spiralling mental injuries and the impacts of COVID-19, which is putting a lot of pressure on our community, workplaces and our workers' compensation scheme. It's not on its own. As we know, iCare in New South Wales has had similar similar criticism over recent years but um yeah they're having to do a, a pretty detailed uh, review to try and find some initiatives that are gonna gonna pull the performance around 
Well, Terry, what can they do apart from put premiums up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, state-run insurance schemes are either cash cows or money sinks, and sometimes they're both at once. Look at the, John's mentioned the New South Wales workers comp schemes. I mean, they've been up and down over the years hugely. And we're talking in tens of billions, and it, it sounds quite frightening, but that's that's the size of the thing. Look, with claims liabilities of more than 47 billion, I think it is, isn't it, John? It, it's definitely time for Victoria to take action. But we should remember that these schemes are quite resilient. And some of the, the causes that they seem to have... Um, have presented COVID, mental mental health issues related to COVID really means this could be just a transitory phase. The easy solution is always to jack up premiums, as we mentioned before. But the best way to address this is to find out what's causing the problem. More focus on preventing the accident in the first place or the incident, then faster recovery and return to work. Those are the ideal ways to go about it. That seems to be what schemes have done in the past to recover. Oh, and don't panic. Well, on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.